Thank you, Kristen. Just love hearing her sing. Remember one time we were at the Home of Grace, and uh, Kristen and Craig and them, they, they got a chance to go do music at another church at one time, and uh, one of the guys, well, it was the Home of Grace event, and we, the next time we went to the Home of Grace, um, <clears throat> one of the guys came up to me and uh, mentioned something about the, uh, the, the service, and he said, what's the name of that songbird you guys have that goes to your church? That girl can sing. I said, that's Kristen. So thank you, Kristen. So we're still in our series. And Paul, um, tonight as I was is just looking through, just wrestling with this, uh, the next part of the next stage of his life, I thought it was very uh, appropriate that, that I came up to the, the part in the book of Acts where Paul is is sent on his missionary journeys. And uh, I, just kind of rehashing some, some things that I used to, used to know a little bit better when I was doing some of my studies and stuff like that. But um, when you think of the Apostle Paul, um, one of the things that I, that I see him as is he, he's a person who is heavenly-minded, yet he was very much earthly good. And, and there's a statement, I don't know if you've heard that, that someone can become... So heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, which I have a hard time making that make sense in any proper context. Because if you're heavenly minded and solid and grounded in who you, who you are in Christ and uh, your identity in Him, and your mission in Him, your purpose in Him, then you're going to be earthly good. You'll be quite useful to the master. And I, I feel that it, the Apostle Paul, if anybody, other than the example that we have of being useful to the kingdom that Jesus was, I think the Apostle Paul is someone that we can look at and say, and he was heavenly minded, yet he, yet he was very much earthly good. Now, in his missionary journeys, we have three uh, documented in Scripture, but he made a final fourth trip, and he, he made his way to Rome in that fourth trip. But we have missionary journeys that, that um, we have the accounts of, and they're really quite amazing, and some of the things that happen. And tonight, it, it, it's going to, I guess it'll be a sermon, but it'll also be kind of like a survey of Paul's first missionary journey, if that's okay, because I think that there's a, <clears throat> a lot that we can, we can learn from his first missionary journey. <clears throat> and there's a lot that we can pull out for us just being day-to-day missionaries. Now, in Paul's journeys, he, he traveled over 7,000 miles. Now, that's one thing when you're able to get on a cruise ship or a boat like, like we can, but, you know, he had to whistle for a camel, and when it came near, that's how, that's what he had, to, I mean, he didn't have the, the means of travel that we had. Um, and, and we know that through the accounts of history that the Apostle Paul, eventually he was martyred. And he was killed for, for his ministry. And his ministry was for, for, the, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. And we have 13 amazing letters in our Bible. Um, spent nearly six years in prison. And just a person who was heavenly minded and earthly good. He was successful. He was successful in both, both of those avenues. And I think we can look at that tonight, and I think God might have something for us for that. So let's pray and ask God to help us, and then we'll dive into our study tonight. Father, we thank you so much. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for an opportunity to come before you, just to sit before you, God, as we sit before you in your presence in this place, as we've uh, just saying, Holy Spirit, you're, you're here, you're wanted, you're welcome here. Lord, we thank you for your presence here. If it weren't for your presence here, God, we would, we would just be gathering together and listening to someone sing a couple of songs and talk a little bit. But you're here. And that's important. That's big news. And I think you have something for us, God. So would you, would you teach? Would you preach? Would you instruct? Would you help us tonight, Lord? We're, we're, we're needy people, and we need you tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Heavenly minded. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, when you think just you know, separate those heavenly minded and earthly good. In Philippians chapter 3, here, here's how Paul would, could describe in a sense how he's not so much focused on the things of this earth. 
And I think that's really where we fail. We find ourselves that we're, we're earthly minded and not really heavenly good. But Paul was heavenly minded and it made him very, very much earthly good for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. And so in Philippians chapter 3, Paul, this is his heart. This shows you what, uh, how he thought. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, in verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now that rubbish word is a strong word. Like that's human waste is what he's talking about. Like everything that I've gained in this earth compared to knowing Christ is like human waste, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, and he got that, and become like him in his death. So we see Paul, his thought process of, you know, you ask him, like, what's important to you? Like, What's this, what are you all about? Like, he wouldn't start talking about his, you know, his tent-making career. He wouldn't start talking. Like, Christ and him and the work that God has given him and the ministry of the gospel, that's what he thought about. It's like everything else that he could ever gain in this earth, anything, it wouldn't even compare. It's like he'd get the lottery ticket and flush it because he'd still have Christ. And not only was he heavenly minded, but you can tell in his writings as he wrote to 2 Timothy, or as he wrote to his protege, his son in the ministry, Timothy, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, should come up on the screen. It says, now in a great house, are, are there not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and, and some for, for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel of honorable use. He's talking about being useful. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so the Apostle Paul wasn't just this heavenly-minded guy that would just sit around and think about how wonderful and beautiful heaven's going to be. And he, I just can't wait to go there. But he, you could tell like, he, was, he was seriously passionate about working for, the, for earthly good, for the advancement of the king. Like, he's talking about like, comparing people to pots and pans. There's some really nice pots and pans that the master of the house is going to use for good things and some for bad things. And, and you, you have to prepare and be ready for, for earthly good, good work. So you see that, that Paul had, had a balance of both. And we should, we should have a balance of both. And, and I hear people talk about how you know, they long for heaven. And I think it's okay if all of us, if I, if I were to ask you, do you long for heaven? Maybe we just think about that. Just, yeah. Yeah, one day. I mean, we, we can think of a place that's true for our future. Our future is decided. Heaven, a literal, physical heaven. There's a lot that we can't wrap our minds around that. But we ask ourselves, why? Why do we think, why do we, get, why do we long for heaven? Do we long for heaven simply because our problems will end? Your pain will be over in heaven, which is great. It's a great truth about heaven. Your finances in heaven, hey, you won't have a problem there. The physical pain that you walk, maybe your side hurts all the time. Do you want to go to heaven just because the stressors in your life will be gone? Maybe there's relationship tension that you have in your life with family, kids, grandkids, neighbors. Every relationship in your life is a disaster. And you know that one day I'll get to just be done with all this and I'll be in heaven. So what if, if it's a financial issue, like I said earlier with the, with the lottery, what if, you got the, what if you got the lottery ticket today and then tomorrow Jesus said, okay, now I'm going to come take you to heaven. Would any part of you say, well, can I just hang on to some of this money and kind of like play a little bit first? Now, we have to check ourselves sometimes. Like, if, because if, I've talked to people before and they're like, I just wanna, I just wanna be in heaven. I just wanna go ahead and just go to heaven. Is it because your pain will be gone or, or is it because you long to be in the presence of Jesus? 
So that's when we can find ourselves, if, if we long to go to heaven, and it's not based on this groaning in our heart to be in the pure presence of Jesus, then we're, on, we're, we're like an idol to ourselves. Like, we don't want to go to heaven and be with Jesus. We want to go to heaven because we don't want to hurt. Or we don't want the stressors in our life to be upon us anymore. And we start thinking, we start rattling around that thought a little bit. We're thinking, well, maybe I'm not as heavenly minded as I should be. You know, there's monks that escape up into monasteries and caves and they just sit around and think about God all the time. And I think that that, that would possibly be good. There's, there's a, a ministry that ba- was based out of Kansas City and pro- Tony probably knows a little bit about it. It's the um, uh, International House of Prayer. And they, they, they had people that would, uh, young college students would give up like years of their lives to go to be prayer missionaries. And as a prayer missionary, they would, they would go into a room and just pray. That's all they did. Now, and we say, well, I don't know, that kind of, that's okay, huh? That sounds pretty good. But you got to have a good balance of being focused on heaven and the, the king of heaven and the high courts of heaven and the glorious realities of heaven. But then at the same time, being able to, in grit and in passion, Get in the trenches of gospel ministry, of proclaiming the gospel and suffering for the sake of the kingdom and, and going and, and, and teaching and making disciples. Well, if you're locked up in a room all the time and all you do is pray, then you really can't do that. So you got to have a, a good balance of being earthly good and heavenly minded. I remember when I was young, I had a summer job at Sanderson Farms. Woo-hoo-hoo. Chicken processing plant. Everybody loves chicken there. Especially the guys that have to take a few weeks off because of salmonella. Well, when, I, when I worked there, um, praise God, I worked in the supply department, which I didn't have to touch a single bird. I just had to touch a bunch of cellophane, a bunch of cardboard, a bunch of foam wrap. But I worked with this guy. His name was Dwayne. And I was young in my faith and pretty rowdy in my faith and pretty passionate. And so I'm like, all right, God, you put Dwayne in my life, and I'm going to minister to him, and <clears throat> he's going to get saved. And so I'd start talking to Dwayne just every day about his faith. And he was kind of like, you know, listening to me, that kind of thing. And, and over and over. And, and I could see him kind of right at the edge. Well, it came time for me to quit the job and uh, move back home and not be at Sanderson Farms anymore. And I was wrecked because I didn't do enough to get Dwayne saved. Well, my problem then is I was trying to be way too earthly good. And not be heavenly minded. And not, not come into the situation like, okay, God, you've put people in my life. I'm going to share the gospel with them. But ultimately, Lord, that seed has to fall on fertile soil. And it's got to take root in its heart. I can't do that. And so I've seen patterns in my life where I've been tr- trying to be way too earthly good for the sake of the kingdom. And then there's times where I'm just, you know, you, uh, you, know, you, you want to escape a little bit, right? And just listen to your Christian music and... Just be so wrapped up in who God is, and yet your coworker, who you've seen every day for the past five years, has never heard the name of Jesus come out of your mouth. And see, Paul, he handled, he handled that well, being balanced between heavenly-minded and earthly good. In Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 20, we're going to start with the, the end of his first missionary journey. And then we're going to skip back to the beginning and, and, and pick it apart and, and see what we can pull out of it. In chapter 14, verses 19, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Okay, But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. (laughs) I'm okay, guys. (laughs) He rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city 
and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must, must enter the kingdom of God. Now that's kind of like the end cap of his first missionary journey. Now each one of his missionary journeys, probably you know, some are longer than others, but you can, you can kind of say about three years per trip, give or take. So if you come back, back to, um, if you look at the beginning of his first missionary journey. Like, so in this passage right here, like he switched teams, if you remember. So his name used to be Saul, and he used to be one throwing the stones. Now he's Paul, and he's on the team that gets the rocks coming at him. Now what? And all this kind of has taken place in, in the confines of God's amazing grace in Paul's life. So if you look back at the beginning of his missionary journey, I think I should have a, a map up there. So if you look at the map, his, his beginning, the starting point, can you see that okay? So he starts in Antioch, and this is about, Antioch's maybe about 300 miles um, north of Jerusalem. And so, hey, they hop on a boat. You know, they're, they're like, hey, there's an island over there. Let's go, let's go there. And, and all of this is through the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as they come through all the way up to another Antioch, which gets kind of confusing when you're reading the book of Acts, because there's like two Antiochs. There's two or three other names, too. And it comes to Derby, and then they backtrack like a little horseshoe and come back. So there's Paul's first missionary journey. It's about... Maybe about three years. So if you look back at his missionary journeys in total, like you can find kind of some patterns of what you see in his missionary journeys. And I think if you, you, you can see a pattern of there's the preaching of the word, there's the hardship of ministry, and there's the rewards of ministry. And they always are together. They're always together. There's always the preaching of the gospel. There's always the hardship of ministry. And there's always the rewards of ministry. So when you think about being heavenly minded and earthly good, obviously we'd say the Apostle Paul, and he had his kind of he had his, his his mind, his theology intact. And buddy, he was earthly good. I mean, they went they went to different cities, places that never heard the gospel, and they taught the Bible, and they made converts. Just just in that passage right there that summed up the his journey, they made disciples, and they. And then he was stoned. And so just, just in that passage alone, you see that there was the preaching of the word, the hardships of ministry, but also the reward of ministry. Many disciples were made. Many disciples were made. But when you think about getting to where you and I are heavenly minded and earthly good enough, maybe, let's just be honest, we're not going to be as good as Paul, right? But we look at that and say, well, that's him. I could never... I could never do that. I could never, I could never be like Paul. And you're right, you could never be like Paul. But you could be heavenly minded enough to be earthly good enough to make a difference for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. You can. Everybody can. And I think for the most part, most of us would say, man, I'm just not there. And see, here, here's what you, you got to look at when you look at this first missionary journey. See, the on-ramp to where Paul was in his ministry and his philosophy and his understanding of what, what's going on. Like the own ramp to being heavenly minded and earthly good is paved with, look in verse, uh, chapter 13, verses 2 through 3. So this is the beginning of his first missionary journey. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Later on in chapter 13 is the first time we hear Saul being called Paul. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the, the on-ramp for you to be heavenly minded and earthly good. There's an on-ramp for you to get off of the path that you're on. To get off of that, that kind of that, that dull one-way street that you've been on for a long time. To to doing something amazing and successful in ministry, the on-ramp to that is paved with worship, prayer, and, the, and, and really submitting to the Holy Spirit. 
So, so if we're sitting here saying, well, man, I've been a Christian for a long time and I feel like I've never really done anything for the sake of the kingdom. I don't think I've ever, I'm not, I'm, I, can't, I can't say I'm successful in any earthly good for the sake of the kingdom. Well, you gotta, you gotta get the, before you can get on that road, it's like, see, you ever, you ever uh, been in a, in a big city and you're driving around and you're like, that's the one I need to be on? Well, you gotta find the on-ramp to get there. You don't just climb over curbs and go up the hill to get on. I mean, you could try it, but you're not supposed to. There's an on-ramp somewhere that'll get you there. And the on-ramp to get you to where you need to be is really through just, simp- just I mean, it's right there. Worship, prayer, serious prayer, fasting. And they're submitting to the Holy Spirit. And in that passage, it says the Holy Spirit spoke and the Holy Spirit sent them. So then we ask ourselves again, What's the Holy Spirit saying to me? Where's the Holy Spirit sending me? Well, you're like, well, he's not saying anything to me. He's not sending me anywhere. Well, are you praying? Are you worshiping? Are you in a missionary tank with other people that are you know, wrapping their minds around this? I love the fact that this on-ramp to be in, to, to, to this strip of ground for the rest of our lives to be successful in ministry is, is really just paved with worship, prayer, and submitting to the Holy Spirit. And you know what's cool? This journey, and we all, we all long to be a person that is useful for the kingdom. Here's what's cool. Like, a lot of times we don't get this when we're reading the book of Acts. Like, it's not a, like Paul's not on a motorcycle. He's not on a single hump camel. Like, he's on a bus. Like, he's got, pull this list up. There's a list of people that have, there's about 19 people here that in the book of Acts, in Paul's missionary journeys, these are the people who are listed in the book of Acts of being with him on his missionary journeys. So we think the apostle Paul is just like, man, I'm going to bust up in there and I'm going to preach. No, he's got people with him along the way. Different people along the way. Which is good because we want to be earthly good. We want to be heavenly minded. And we want to get, we want to climb that ramp of, of worship and prayer and just and fasting and you know, submitting to the Holy Spirit. But we do that together. What a great principle that is. And you, you never find Paul just kind of hanging out by himself. Even when, he's, and when it seems like he is, like he's got people close. Which is definitely a spiritual principle that we need to wrap our minds around. And here's the pattern of the trip. And I said this earlier. Proclamation, trouble, and rewards. Look in verse, uh, so here we are in the Acts chapter 13, verse 5. This is his first missionary journey that we're going to kind of survey here a little bit. In Acts chapter 13, verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So here you go. The first thing that happened is they did what? They proclaimed. What did they proclaim? The word of God. It's always the first thing that, like Paul goes somewhere and he's like, Hey guys, what are we supposed to do? I don't know. We'll just hang out and figure out what to do. No. They knew what to do. They knew that the message of the gospel needed to come out of their face into someone's ears. They knew that. And it's probably the only thing that they really knew when they showed up somewhere. Hey, where are we going to go? The Holy Spirit's telling us to go there. All right, we know that. He's sending us there. We're going to go. What are we going to do when we get there? We're going to just kind of sit around. Nope. Man, we're going to get to it. We're going to start proclaiming the word of God. Now, what did I say? So it starts with the gospel proclamation. Then there's troubles. And then there's rewards. Well, what happened in verse 8 of Acts chapter 13? But Elimus the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So this guy was friends with someone who was really interested in listening to what Paul had to say, Paul and Barnabas. And at this point, John was with them too. He's really curious. Well, somebody was like, well, I don't like what they're saying. So here's, this, here's already some trouble coming. I mean, they go to this place that, with the best news ever, and it would seem like people would be like, hey, these guys got great news, let's listen to them. No. That's not how it is. We do have great news. But the great news, the beautiful, perfect news of the gospel, will always be tailed close behind with trouble. Right away. 
And what did Paul do with that trouble? Well, if, if you read through, like he, he went toe-to-toe with it. He faced that opposition. Another setback he had right off the bat, not only opposition in verse 8, but in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, and they came to per- Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. All right, so what we've just covered is a long period of time, by the way. Like, there's two chapters in the book of Acts that are almost maybe three years of time. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of other instances where they would proclaim the gospel and then be some kind of trouble would come at them. But they would proclaim the gospel knowing there's, there's a reward with that. Trouble might come, but the reward was worth it. And the reward is always twofold. Either salvation of the lost heathen <laughs> conversion or the edification or the building up of the saved. That was worth it. To, any trouble that came Paul's way, it was worth it to know that, you know what? There's a reward. And the reward is free for them, not necessarily for me, because I'm the one that's getting the rocks thrown at me. But he thought it was worth it. In Acts chapter 13, we see that John left him, deserted him. Now we know later on in the narrative of the story that this was a problem. Because when they go to you know, rally up the troops to go somewhere else, Barnabas is like, hey, we've got to bring John again. And Paul's like, nope, I ain't bringing him with me. He's not coming. Why not? Well, you know why. He sold us out. And we had stuff to do. It was hard. And we needed him. And he folded under pressure. And he said, I'm going home, guys. So there's some, there's some emotional weight in that statement right there. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Yeah, you can see it. You can read it later. Paul wasn't happy. So much so that him and Barnabas, they got in a fight about it. Now, some scholars think that they just didn't get in a fight about it. They might have even like, somebody's like pulling them off each other. I don't know. I just, maybe I think that that did happen just to help me because it just reminds me that these guys are just real. They're just real dudes. They love God. They love people. And they make mistakes sometimes. And obviously, Paul would tell you he's not perfect. So desertion. That's a trouble in ministry. Like there's been times, and Tony will tell you, like, we got, like if you're in ministry long enough, if you're a believer committed to the work of the gospel long enough, you can have people that are close to you that can be like, I'm just done. I'm out. See you. Don't call me. That's tough. But then there's reward. Look in verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of encouragement for the people, say it. There's the encouragement right there. There's the exhortation. There's the reward. You know what? Paul's thinking of this opposition and this being deserted, but then he's like, okay, God comes in with a reward. Say, hey, you know what? Hey, Paul, it's going to be all right. Like people really, they want to hear what you have to say. They're, they're leaning in. They're listening. So there's always a There's always the proclamation of the gospel, the trouble that comes following it, but there's always the reward. Let's keep going in verse 16 of Acts chapter 13. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, I love it. So here's the proclamation again, all right? So they go to another place, and now they have another opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So it would be like you sitting in this room right here, and let's say me and Tony, man, we had to go. And I was like, and Tony's like, all right, well, who are we going to pick? Let's pick someone. Let's pick someone. Let's pick someone tonight. To, hey, let me pick someone tonight to just finish this sermon. And so he, he pointed at this. His, his, his name's Paul, right? His name's Paul. And so here they are, this group of people. You know, they want to be encouraged by, by the word of God. They want to learn something. And so what happened? They're like, hey, guys, you got anything to say? Paul stood up and said, Come on in. I don't know. He said, motion with his hand. I don't know if he, I don't know what he did. But I love it. You guys got anything to say? Yep. Come on, squeeze in, baby. I got something to say. And then the pro- proclamation happened. Here's, here's, here's the reality of, of what, what I know. Like, we can always talk about what we know. We can always talk about what 
we're intimately involved with. We always will be. Come up to me anytime and say, hey, tell me something about your kids. I have a story. I have something funny to tell you about my kids. I can go up to you, any, any man in this room, I can go up to you and say, man, tell me about work. What's been happening lately at work? And you start talking. It's rattling on and on and on and on because you can talk about what you know. See, Paul had this courage and confidence to stand up because he could talk about what he knew. He had a relationship, a deep, heavenly-minded relationship. He preached Jesus. We find this sermon. It's in, in Acts chapter 13. Look in verse uh, 13, uh, 38 through 42. You can read. I mean, you read through that. So like, he, did, like, he pulled out his notes, I guess, but it, it was good. So let it be, verse 38 says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, talking about Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. All right? Let me just get some theology here. If you go on in verse 44, the next Sabbath, the next day, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Because, why, because Paul was really prepared to preach that sermon. I mean, me and Tony, we talk about this sometimes, and anybody that's ever preached a sermon, like, and it's hard. You got, it takes time. And it, I was, my wife was looking at me the uh, other night. I was, I don't know, it was like 10.30, and I was working on this. And I was just like, this is a puzzle. <laughs> It's a puzzle. There's pieces that have to fit right. I mean, I'm just, pulling, I'm just bringing you in our office right now. You know, it's, it's laborious. Pieces have to line up and fit right. And Paul, man, he just, he spoke about what he knew. And he knew Jesus. So this is a proclamation again. And just, you see this pattern over and over. Proclamation, trouble, reward. Where did the trouble come? All right, so in verse... So after this, verse 45 of 13, but when the Jews, when they saw the crowd, huh, what do they do? Let's throw a party for Paul because we like what he's saying. No, nope. they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, reviling him. Reviling him is kind of like me pulling back a big arrow and launching something out of my mouth that stabs you at your heart. It's like just tearing someone down with words, just ripping them to shreds. So they didn't like it. They were rejecting him. They were rejecting everything he had to say. See, here's the thing. Many of us get to the point where we're like, okay, so I'm not going to share the gospel. I'm not going to proclaim the gospel. I'm not going to speak because, because why? Is it the fear of rejection? It's got to be something. Is it the lack of knowledge? Because I said earlier, we talk about what we know. You talk about what you know. Is it apathy? Or maybe a lack of compassion? If you have compassion for someone and you know they're spiritually sick, what are you going to do? You're going to go to your coworker and you say, hey, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I, I just want to ask you, man, how's, how's things going? I've been, I've been praying for you. And, and I'm, I've been kind of through some similar things that you're going through. And my faith in Christ is the only thing that's gotten me through. And um, I don't know what I would do without Jesus. Uh, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I mean, man, I don't know where I'd be without Him. So you're going to talk about what you know. And the people that are rubbing, you're rubbing shoulders with. Because you're a missionary. I mean, we look at Paul and look at that map and we're like, man, uncharted territory, places that, you know, he's ready to get some trouble coming his way. And, but we don't do anything. And we say we know Jesus. We say we've tasted the same grace that, that, Paul, that saved Paul, that saved me. And we, we say we know that. But we go on and on and on and on in our Christian life and we never proclaim, we never share the gospel. Maybe it's because the trouble that we know might come our way. Are we afraid of that? Because I promise you, whatever trouble might come your way, in our society, in your culture, your context, your setting, your situation, you can handle it. Social rejection, maybe, might lose your job. Nobody's going to gather their friends and say, hey, we're going to take this guy out in the back and throw rocks at him until he dies. Nobody's going to say that about you. 
Nobody's going to plot that. The next set of trials, you see rejection, persecution, look in Acts 13, 50 through 51. But the Jews incited the devout women. Uh-oh, they got the women on board. And high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust from their feet against them and they went to Iconium. Like, fine, we got other places we're going to go. And they even stirred up the ladies. So the proclamation is met with trouble. But where's the reward here? Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, because this is when Paul said, fine, we're going to go to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. There's the reward. What a, Paul, see, Paul's so heavenly mind, minded and working for the sake of being so earthly good that he doesn't. Whatever trouble comes his way, it's worth it to know that somebody is going to hear what I have to say and they're going, to, they're going to become a Christian. They're going to taste the same grace that I know. And they might switch teams. I used to be on the stone throwing team. Now I switch jerseys and I'm on the grace team. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 14. Still in Paul's missionary, first missionary journey. I know I'm kind of flying through this this journey and this, these two chapters. Now, where, where are they now? Iconium. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles believed. So what was the pattern? Proclamation, trouble, and rewards. What do they do? They go to Iconium. What do they do? Speak. They, they shared the gospel. And then, was there trouble coming their way? Yeah, look in verse 4 of chapter 14. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and others sided with the apostle. As I was thinking about that, I thought about Tim Tebow. That guy, is he knows how to stir so much division, and he's not really that controversial except for the fact that he knows Jesus and loves Jesus, and he'll talk about that. People love to hate him. People love to say, well, he's this, he's that. It's just because of his faith in Christ. Man, like Paul, they show up with the same message. Man, everybody's getting all in a tizzy. Some people are like, that's the greatest news I've ever heard. I want it. I want to believe that. And then some people are like, you know, they want to like throw stones again. Like people walk around with backpacks full of rocks. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, put the rocks up. Can we just have a conversation without you throwing something at me? That's kind of what I would say if I was Paul. What else? Not only is there division sometimes that comes, the trouble. What about just confusion? I'm pretty sure uh, Tony could probably spend the rest of the week talking about times that people have gotten confused about something he said, something I've said. You maybe didn't hear that right, or you ran one way with it, and that's not where you were supposed to run with it. Well, look at this. Now in Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Okay? He listened to Paul speaking. Here he is proclaiming. And Paul looked intently at him. I love this. He just, I don't know what that means. Looked intently at him, but he was staring at him. Looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. I would love to be this, in this situation here. And he sprang up. I don't know. I mean, he just jumped up and began walking. Wow, that's awesome. I think that's a pretty good reward of ministry, right? And when the crowd saw that, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands and gates and they wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. I think there's a little bit of confusion there. I mean, that's just part of it. See, everywhere you go, if you want to be Useful, a useful vessel to your king for the sake of the kingdom. You have to proclaim with words the message of the kingdom. And you're going to have outside, you're going to have rejection, desertion, persecution, confusion. If you speak with somebody who's 
And there's people you work with, maybe like their mom was Buddhist and their dad was Methodist and they grew up going with their grandma to a Catholic church. I mean, you think you're going to have to sort through some confusion there? And then they're like, well, I don't think that, I don't really believe that. What are you going to do there? Are you going to do, well, fine then. Suit yourself. It's just, some, it's just this road that, that God has called us as, and, and this is for Christians. This is not like for some super superhero in the faith. Like we look at Paul and be like, we could never touch his status of super Christian. You're right, I could never. We could never. But this reality is not just for someone else. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Charles Spurgeon said you're either a missionary or an imposter. And if you're a missionary, you have a journey, you have a path that the Holy Spirit is sending you on, calling you out on. And you get on that path, that on-ramp. Maybe some of you are on that on-ramp of worship and prayer, and you get on that path and you start proclaiming the message of the kingdom. The stones start coming whatever those are in your life. But you keep persevering. You keep pushing forward because whatever reward in ministry is worth it. It's worth it. Paul was crazy enough to say, if someone, if some of my brother, my, my Israelite Jewish brothers, if some of them would get saved, I'd even forego my salvation so they'd believe. Now that wouldn't happen. God wouldn't be like, okay, you got it. I'm taking away your salvation and giving it to them. That's how seriously he, he was committed to the propagation of the gospel. He would say, I would go to hell if you guys would be, taste this grace that I know. So there's confusion. There's exhortation. There's, there's encouragement. Acts chapter 14, 14 through 17. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments. They rushed out into the crowd. Time out. No, stop, stop. Men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of nature like you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with, the, with food and gladness. And if you keep reading, they're like, they didn't convince them. They still wanted to call them Zeus and Hermes. But they, they, they ran, they, like this, this idea of going to them, no, stop, you're getting it wrong. Like, don't bring me sacrifices. Don't come to me with this. And that's the whole mindset of making this all work right in your life, is if you can step back from everything and be like, okay, I don't know a whole lot. I don't know a whole lot about my life. Man, I don't know as much as I need to about the Bible. Here's what I do know. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And so when this stone comes flying at you at work for somebody that's got some, some skeptic, some cynic that's got some question or some ridicule, you don't have to necessarily have to pull out the best theological answer in the world. All you got to do is well, and just go, start pointing back to Jesus. Start pointing back to him. Because I think we can find ourselves, one, like, okay, so 10 years ago, you can say, I, was, I, I wasn't useful in the kingdom. I was a, a dishonorable vessel. I, di I didn't have the right thought process. I wasn't heavenly minded. So what about future, 10 years from now? Like, can we do that? Can we, can we pull out of ourselves for a little bit and think about 10 years from now? If you think... You've never been heavenly minded and good for anything for the kingdom in your whole Christian existence. Then what are you going to do to make sure that's not the case for you next year, five years from now, ten years from now? That's, that somebody else in your life can look at you and say, man, God just uses them. Man, God is using them. Man, they're telling everybody about Jesus. They're praying with people. They're bringing their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers to church. They're up in the tank and baptizing people that are getting saved around them. And so many of us, we just cross our arms throughout our entire Christian existence. And, we're, and like all these cars, are, all these people are just going by on this heavenly-minded, earthly good highway. And we're like, how, how do we get up there? And then we get defeated. And we 
we, we, we find ourselves just kind of depressed. Tonight, maybe you are. You're like, man, I ain't done nothing for the kingdom. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I can't see that I've done anything. So maybe Paul needs to run up to you as he's tearing his garments at these people who got it all wrong. He just needs to look at you and say, hey, just focus on Jesus. Just focus on Jesus. Like, don't, don't get wrapped up in all that. Just focus on him. Paul proclaimed Jesus. Why? Because he's better than anything else. What do you talk about? You talk about what you know. Is something better than Jesus? Are you scared to experience the persecution, the reviling, the desertion that might come with you just being some kind of weird fanatic for Jesus? Are you afraid of that? Then that's simply you saying, yeah, Jesus might be better, but maybe he's not worth it. Is he worth it? Is he better than anything? Is he worth it? Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. That's the heavenly-minded, earthly good statement right there that we need to wrap our minds and our hearts around. Oh, I just want to just, man, I wish Jesus would just come back now. Why? So your pain would go away? So, Paul, man, if anybody's got a reason to say, man, this is too hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Man, he's the one that's gotten stoned half to death and they drug him out. I mean, he's, I mean you look at all what he's gone through. It seems like if anybody would be like, man, I just wish Jesus would take me right now. I'm, I'm fed up with all this ache and pain and all the stuff that I have to deal with. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Are you heavenly minded? Do you feel like you're a of use for honorable purposes. The master of the house says, man, getting a lot of good use out of this vessel. Are you an ambassador? Christian, listen to me. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you're a Christian, you're an ambassador for our king. The message of the gospel needs to come out of your mouth. You need to tell people about Jesus. If you read through Paul's journeys and all this first missionary journey. What do they have? They have the word of God to share. You have the word of God to share. All of it. You have the complete word of God to share. Is it going to be easy? Was it easy for Paul? Sure wasn't easy for him. It might not be easy for you either. You won't have to face as much as he did, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. So may we all leave here tonight Desiring to be heavenly minded, but earthly good too. I'll leave you this with this quote from David Livingston. It's going to come up. God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. 
and sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. If you read the biography of David Livingstone, he went through some trials. But he came out on top. He proclaimed the word of God. He was met with great persecution and trials. But it was worth it. The reward was worth it. I'm going to pray and um, Kristen's going to come up and she's going to lead us in a song. She's going to sing. And, and I, w- I would say that tonight, if, if anything, maybe just sit where you are and pray for the sake of the people around you that know you, that need to hear about your Jesus that saved you. If you have somebody that... You, you, I think what happens in a situation like this, we have people that come to our mind. Like, a na- like you've kind of been rattling around a name in your, in your mind tonight. Well, I think God maybe is leading you. The Holy Spirit is sending you to that person, sending you across the sea to the island of Cyprus and whoever that person is in your life. They're an island somewhere far off. You work with them and they're down the hall. Maybe God's sending you there. Maybe you've never done anything like this before. But you get your missionary clothes on, your work clothes. You get in that giant vessel to get sail across the sea, your little Honda Accord. Uh, Chrysler, whatever you got, you drop to work tomorrow as a missionary. You step off that vessel not as a, a, a worker, not as a, a dental assistant, as a manager. Not, you step out of that vessel tomorrow as a missionary. Because you have the word of God to share. Troubles might come. You might get rejected or whatever. But what if Soon, you're standing down here with your coworker, and they got saved because you got brave, and you said, "I got to tell you about Jesus." And that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. And then God's going to send you somewhere else and get back in your vessel, cross the sea again somewhere else. Some of us in here, some some of the people in this church. God might be calling them to get, you know, throw their life down and for the rest of their life. Be a missionary. I don't know. God knows. So think about that person that you're thinking about and ask God to give you the courage and the boldness to be the ambassador that he's calling you to be. Heavenly minded and earthly good. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to get together. and.